Two were done before horror was fun. Now comes the third in this unending run. In the third installment of the fantastic voyages of Grindle Wollaston, we descend to the grimy dens of shame and iniquity to hear the fate of a young girl, an aging detective, and a great hairy spider plotting away in his diabolical web as we introduce this week's episode, The Robbing of Roxy. Featuring the distinguished voices of Freddie Sweenster, Angina Meldew, and Milton Keynes. Welcome to New York, a city that never sleeps, which is just as well as it would wake up with the world's worst hangover. The glassy cold of billboards and lights hides a stinky world of crime and corruption, like the dusting of sugar on a burnt Victoria sponge. I looked out the window in my 12th floor office and saw the people milling about below. They looked just like ants, but then I'd been drinking and wouldn't recognize my old mother had she not been cremated a few years back. The sky was grey and the rain was heavy, just like my first wife. I closed the curtains and turned back to my desk when I heard the door close fall off its hinges and onto my new client, whose cavernous cleavage bulged out of her dress like the used tissues from a teenager's mattress. I looked her up and down, then around, back to the front, then up and down again in case I missed anything the first time, lingering momentarily on the twin peaks that strained against the tight-fitting dress that molded around her curves like the twine around the prize-winning ham. I know what I like, and I liked what I saw. She had legs that went all the way to the ceiling. But then, she was doing a handstand. My god, the vision of those legs would stay with me for the rest of my life. Once I took a photo, had it framed, and hung over my toilet. She floated into the room, so I weighed her feet down with a stapler and a hole punch. You busty asquith. What's it say on the door? Stationary cupboard. Closed for fumigation. Oh, sure, I'm asquith. The P.I.? P.I., red eye, sometimes pink eye. She had the look of a troubled dame, and shivered like a jelly on caffeine. She needed a drink, but all I could give her was cheap liquor and a thousand broken promises. She was a sweet girl, dressed up to the nines, while I was on all fours looking for a glass. Please, take a seat. She was halfway to the doorway with my best Chesterfield before I called her back. What can I do for you? You must help me. Help you? Why, I can't even help myself. Can't a guy get a break? I'm afraid somebody's following me. Well, I'm not sure I do. Every time I look around, there's a man behind me. Well, from what I've heard, that's better than a man's behind in front. They tell me you're the best, Mr. Asquith. They can't know me very well. How did you find me? I saw your number in the newspaper. I got your number the moment you walked in my room. Miss? Roxy. Lulu Roxy. Well, Miss Roxy? Why not go to the cops? I... I can't trust them. They're all on the mobster payroll. I need someone discreet, not going to cause a big fuss. A real nobody, with no respect or credentials. Okay, okay, stop with the flattery. I'll help you, Miss Roxy. Not because you're rich, sharp, because you're beautiful, but because you came to me and need a help, 
and I'm a sucker for those big puppy dog eyes. <laughs> Sorry, I'll leave Buster outside. <laughs> Cute dog. Now, Miss Roxy, tell me more about your problem. Oh, it's just a rash. The doctor gave me some cream for it. I mean your mysterious stalker. What can you tell me about him? I'm afraid I can't tell you much. He remains in the dark. Unless we find out more, so will we. But aren't you scared? Me? Scared? I've got more spine than war and peace. Does it look like I have the word coward written across my forehead? No, just wrinkles. You look like you haven't slept in days. Ah, too old for milk and cookies, too drunk for my own good. I'm a light sleeper, and there's more lights in New York than a fat fighters club. Smoke? Only after making love. You? I do both with the same hand. Don't get any ideas. Don't worry, you're not my type. I like my women like I like my cement. Cold, wet, and a cheap lay. Mm, I've been meaning to cut down. And we were getting on so well. Come on, I wish to meet this mysterious stalker for myself. Who knows, we might be able to switch jobs. The biggest flaw in an office building is the number of flaws. And we had to negotiate 20 of these before we left by the back door. Which is how they do it in the movies. We headed down the back street, which resembled a graveyard to pizza boxes, out-of-work actors, and stray cats. From the moment we left the office, I thought I could feel a strange presence. But I'd had a heady mix of whiskey and paracetamol, and wouldn't recognize my own mother had she not disowned me as a child. I pulled Miss Roxy into a shady corner, and held a finger to her lips. They were as moist and red as a freshly carved lobster, and no less snappy. We hugged the wall, but that was all we hugged and waited until a shadowy figure came into view. Hold still, hands up. Do the second one first, then the rest is up to your own interpretation. I ain't saying nothing to you. Well, what do you say to this? I went for my gun, but missed, and my trousers fell down. I tried again and pointed the business end at our guest. What are you planning to do with that? I'm the one asking the questions. Tell me, what do you want with a dame? I ain't telling you nothing. I got my good friend, Smith & Weston, which says otherwise. Quite so, quite so. Yes, I quite concur. Indubitably. Should tell him. Thanks, guys. Who are you working for? Now talk! Okay, okay, I work for Dijon Marinetti. This broad's got something he wants real bad. Oh yeah? And what's that? <coughs> Just then a car pulled up with blacked out windows. I hit the deck and pulled Rocky down with me. The other guy wasn't so lucky. A hail of slugs hit him in the chest, and a well-directed snail finished the job. He went down like a drunk at a high school prom and no less messy. The car pulled away in a screech of time as I fired a few loose shots at it, but it was already a haze in the distance. I turned to the dying man and pumped him for information. What do they want with her? Tell me! Hot Seas, Jazz Club, 95 and 4th. His eyes rolled back as far as a theatre critic's and his mouth closed for a last time, an effect all overdue in a critic. Roxy was still on the floor, lungs pumping like a freight train. I pulled her up and calmed her down. Something inside of me was telling me to kiss her. Her eyes said no, but her mouth said, I need a drink. And I knew better than to get mixed up with a client. We gotta get you safe. Come on, I have an idea. I'm sorry, Mr. Asquith. Save your apologies to my accountant. Call me Busty. What are we gonna do, Busty? We're gonna pay a visit to Jimmy the Grass. Why is he called that? He works in a gardening center. Is he... Reliable? Me? I trust him with my life. And that isn't much of an endorsement. Maybe not, but the worth of my life is a pittance compared with the ample bounty on your head. Let's go. Wait! Before we go, I've got to tell you something, Mr. Asquith. What? 
Your jacket's inside out. Well, if that's all. No, wait. The gangster. He was right. Marinetti is after me. Because of this. She pulled her shoulder strap down to reveal a small tattoo on the skin underneath. It was a sign of a scorpion playing a tuba. I'd seen it before on a dead man. The sign of the Laporta family. Put that away before someone sees it. We need to get off the street. You still want to help me? If I turned down every client with a shady background, I'd be out of most toilets before you could say Streplococcus. Streplo what? Exactly. Now follow me. What about him? I don't think he's going anywhere. And if he does, we'll have bigger things to worry about. Let's go. Is it? It's Asquith. I'm not in. Then I guess I'll have to chug this hydrangea in the compost. What can I do for you? Open the door and let's talk. You look horrible. It's a habit that's proving hard to break. What do you want? What do you know about Dijon Marinetti? Enough to know not to ask questions. Humor me. I made out with a deal last night. It's in game at the time. Had enough humor for you. Come on, Jimmy. This girl's life is in danger. Come on, Busty. You gotta have a screw loose to be escorting Lulu Roxy around a dump like this. It's complicated. Sounds open-heart surgery, but either way, you don't want to be caught with blood on your hands. What's the deal with Marinetti? He runs things around here, and I don't mean on a treadmill. Any bootleg liquor, phony Benjamins, or drugs go through him. Sometimes, literally. And Hatsy's Jazz Club. Does that mean anything to you? It means a stiff drink, a steamy affair, and one goddamn awful hangover the next day. It's Marinetti's base of operations, and his goons are all over the place. If I were you, I'd stay away. Three hours later, I walked into the club and ordered a stiff drink from an even stiffer barman, who looked like he might wrestle bears in his spare time and deal with worse on a heavy night on the job. He silently poured brown liquid into a glass and slid it across the bar with a suspicious scowl on his face. It was a dark and stormy whiskey and I drained it in one desperate gulp, slammed the glass down and ordered another. The barman eyed me darkly and reached for the glass. I clamped down on his wrist and pulled his face towards mine. His breath smelled of cigars, mahogany and spearmint, the scent of my childhood. I decided to strike. What do you know about Dijon Marinetti? The atmosphere in the room changed immediately, and the band stopped playing. Some frozen with their instruments hovering over their lips like seen in a waxwork museum. But all I could think about was my doll, and she sure as hell wasn't wax. I released my grip on the guy and crunched down on a peanut that tasted like salty piss. Busty Asquith, P.I. My reputation may have been mud in the city, but mud will leave a stain everywhere, if tramped in hard enough. The barman went back to wiping the glass, and nodded to a guy who had appeared at the wall. He looked like the, uh, unlikely offspring of a Rottweiler in a brick, with a little fag ash thrown in for good measure. I felt the cold steel on my back before I had time to swallow the nut. He led me over to a curtain, and we walked through into the depths of the crime den. If this was the underbelly of crime, then the door at the end of the corridor was the intestinal tract, and the man sitting behind the desk inside the asshole of the business. He may have been worth his weight in gold, but either way, he was a considerable threat to the floorboards. Asquith, your reputation precedes you, as does the smell of booze on your breath. Well, the smell of booze is better than the stench of innocent blood on your hands. You'll find that I'm as squeaky clean as a mouse taking a shower. And anyway... I can afford a finer cologne. Please reflect on where you are and remember that I could have you killed with a flick of my finger. Then try not to sneeze. But let's talk business. A little bird told me 
that you've taken interest in a bird of your own. I might have taken one under my wing. New York's a lonely city. Don't play games with me, Asquith. I hold all the cards. I like to keep my cards close to my chest. Which will soon have a bullet through it. It would be in your best interest to turn a blind eye to the dame. Her number's marked already. You don't have to follow her to an early grave. Hell, I've already got both feet in the coffin. I'm just waiting for someone to nail down the lid. We can turn that frown upside down with surgery. How do you persuade a man with a death wish? Hey, Muggsy, give him the full wikes. Beethoven or the Tchaikovsky. Uh, very pleasant, but I still won't give up the dame. There's plenty of other Laporta goons to kill. What's so important about this one? Kill? <laughs> Asquith, you've got me all wrong. I would not touch a hair on that young girl's head. Then what's with the surveillance? Insurance. I wouldn't want anything untoward to happen to her. At least before we are married, that is. I have reached a time in my life when I wish to settle down and have some little marionettes of my own. Is that so hard to believe? Not when the bride is heiress to the biggest rival gang to your own. You're just marrying her for her money and power. There are worse things to marry for. Like love? Come now, Asquith. We both know nobody loves New York. They just desire, work, and die. I could love her. You've only known her for a day. What can I say? She's grown on me. <laughs> there may be many things growing on you, Asquith, but she is not one of them. Forget her. Here, have a drink on me. No hard feelings. You look like you need one. Or two bottles. I don't suppose I have much choice. Not really. Above and beyond the line of duty. Exactly. By the way, when you see the delightful Jimmy, please tell him to come up and see me when he has a chance. We have many things to... discuss. I didn't like the way his feelings glistened as he said this, so I decided to leave while my faculties were still intact. I headed back through the bar and out into the street, flicking a peanut at the barman as I went, with half a bottle of whiskey sloshing around inside me, and a hell of a lot down my shirt. I couldn't quite think straight. Hell! Maybe he was right. I was as out of my depth as a dormouse in a flood. My desire to sleep with Lulu was outweighed by my fear of sleeping with the fishes. But then I remembered the steamy look she'd flash me when she first walked into my office. I guess it might have been the adrenaline speaking, or the lack of sleep. Or maybe even the drink. And there was a lot of drink. I wouldn't even recognize my own mother had she not had a gender reassignment a few years back. But I turned round and walked back to the bar. I felt the weight of my revolver in my pocket. It was missing a trigger, and I had to pawn the stock, but it gave me some comfort as I kicked the door in. It swung inwards, bounced off the bar, and back into my face. I hit the deck with a terrible thud, and blood poured from my nose like the leaky gutter outside my apartment.
People always stand and they stop and stare When the holy man stops to offer them a prayer In his white brim hat you know he's always there On a cold street corner where there's no one to care And he starts to laugh at the crowd of prying eyes Who are waiting for a miracle to save him from their lies In the cold and the rain spiritually dies His flock grows fatter as his teardrop slowly dries Always dreaming of a city full of sweat and meat Where the wolf will always howl and the sheep allowed to bleed Their brides want to see the sky that shines at night People stand and stare, but they stay out of the light As he starts to sing the word, people stand and stare Waiting for a miracle, but the Holy Ghost not there He starts to lick his lips before he breaks down and cries As the cold begins to gather, his teardrop slowly dries People always stand and they stop and stare When the holy man stops to offer them a prayer his white brim hat, you know, is always there On a cold street corner Always dreaming of a city On a cold street corner On a cold street corner It was some time later I woke up in my apartment in the dark The blinds were down and so were the chips My head pounded like a horny couple on their wedding night And I was sitting slumped in the chair by my desk I turned on the lamp and saw an envelope on the surface. It had my name on it, so I tore it open. It was from Roxy. I read it, aloud, in, in her voice. Dear Busty, I so enjoyed our time together, but I must ask you to forget all about me. I have decided to stay with Dijon. He's such a real cutie. Sorry for the bother we've caused you, Please find your fee attached. I hope you find as much happiness as I have. Signed, Lulu Roxy. P.S. Also find a wedding invitation. There was enough cash in the envelope to keep the taxman off my bank for a few more episodes and keep me inebriated till fall. I looked the congregation up and down, then around, back to the front, then back again in case I missed anything the first time, lingering momentarily on the mother of the bride who dressed up for the occasion and bent down for the prayers. Her ass looked as tight as a leaky faucet in that dress, and it was all I could do not to head straight into the confessional and beg for forgiveness, but I knew I'd be begging for something else before long. They got hitched without a hitch, and left in a car surrounded on both sides by men with machine guns. I knew she wouldn't be happy with him, but hell. All I could do was offer a leaky bladder and a lifetime full of debt. I turned away and was about to leave when I hit upon a new case. It was cheap leather with embroidered initials and a combination lock. I stooped down to pick it up when my eyes met with the polished red paint of toenails. Mrs. Roxy, I've been expecting you. <laughs>